Hi. Can okay, good. You can hear me. Um, thanks for um, meeting me at this moment uh, today. I'm just seeing all the faces I can see and names. I'm feeling emotional today. Water tastes very good. It's nourishing me. And um, I can feel the coolness in my throat. So actually it's reached right here already. It's very fast how water travels. It probably already traveled to the tips of my toes, I bet. I, I just probably can't be sensitive enough to feel that, but I bet it did. Encouraging, you know, immediate. Receiving and giving and receiving. Immediately received, immediately given. I'm um, feeling a little emotional because um, usually, well, if this was not COVID times, I'll be giving talks in Brooklyn Zen Center and um, it's, I'll be pampered there. <laughs> in a way, you know, like I go out my house and I reached the Brooklyn Zen Center and usually I, before the Dharma talk, I'm, you know, um, receiving my karma and practicing, staying with that, taking care of it, calling bodhisattvas, you know, so that I can be mindful every step of the way to the center. When I arrive at the center, um, there's an attendant who prepares me a tea or water. Um, the zendo is already set, sitting with lots of people. The Buddha altar is cleaned. So the incense offering um, bowl is all cleaned up. And um, everybody's waiting for me. And, um, you know, here uh, I'm doing it at my home. And so it's very different. Um, I cleaned the altar myself today. <laughs> um, I prepared uh, water for myself. And um, in preparing for my Dharma talk, I arranged um, various things around me. So that I have a little tree here, you can see it nicely. Um, and, um, you know, in a way, my temple um, from Brooklyn Zen Center, my practice has really claimed itself here at home in COVID times. And, you know, this is how I felt during the years of practice is that I, um, in the beginning, of course, you know, I was going to Brooklyn Center as a, a place for refuge to run away from the chaotic life of, um, you know, these karmic arisings that happens in, in our, my personal relational lives. Um, you know, to, when I go to the center, I got to sit and I got to um, settle into my body. And over the years, slowly, I have um, brought the fruits 
of um, what the Zen Center has offered me there to um, outside, to homes and friends, to the world. Little by little by little. And um, now it feels, um, you know, claiming home as a temple is, is a challenging thing. Before I was able to separate a little bit, you know, even the place that I, for example, sat at home. Actually, today I have an uh, altar right in front of me. This is in the living room. Um, and to actually, and I wanted to actually look at the altar today and claim space here to talk. And this is right in the middle uh, living room. My son is in the other room um, talking to uh, someone. My husband is in the, the bedroom right here. He's working perhaps. And um, instead of me, I think that in the past, I would just rather close the door, you know, and pass, give a talk um, in the bedroom, you know, find a quiet place in the house so I can have a little bit of this um, being who I am, you know, kind of um, defensively, you know, hiding away a bit. So here, um, doing this right in the middle of the living room, you know, enmeshed with all the objects around me, the kitchen. It just feels a um, little vulnerable. And at the same time, I am touched by it. You know, I'm touched by um, every little things, you know? Every little pictures that I see, even the dust on the floor, the way that I appreciated that, every little thing at Brooklyn Zen Center, the dust at home has also become seeds of Dharma. So I'm just taking that in. <laughs> and um, yeah, I feel very vulnerable today. I um, have been preparing my talk, thinking about my illness. Um, some of you may know, I've um, told some people here at Brooklyn Zen Center too, that um, I have been diagnosed with serious illness recently, two, three months ago. And um, I wanted to um, share with you how I have been practicing with this illness and um, I've been thinking about what to share and it's funny because nothing's really changed in my practice. Um, you know, today um, I'm feeling good. I'm a little tired. I can feel right now, maybe a little around here <laughs> in parts of my body. 
And um, my practice has just been that, to see what's in front of me, what's arising in this moment, one at a time, just like how people who clean the altar would dust off one at a time. My practice has just been that. And um, that's something that we all learn, you know, as we come to the center, as we come to this practice, is to, you know, um, to receive something one at a time. And we start with sitting and we recognize what comes in our mind and we take care of it one by one. It's not very easy to do, especially feelings um, that are very unpleasant and painful. And with my illness, um, there has been painful things, um, type of illness that I have is um, unknown uh, in a lot of ways, how the prognosis would be. So um, practicing with unknown, you know, how that feels in the body when you receive something unknown, definitely a sense of fear, definitely sense of tightening in, in our bodies. And um, for me, the big thing was um, grief because um, I took granted what I had, which is the, you know, I thought it was a infinite energy. <laughs> you know, every time I go to sleep, I tired, but next day I get up and I'm not tired, miraculously, you know, and I took that for granted. So, um, the grief, you know, that came with that loss of feeling um, healthy, right, vibrant, a lot of resources in the body, aliveness, strength, um, these qualities of physical um, sensations, you know, just a wellness in the body. I have um, grieved. And that had been quite um, painful, um, but it's, it was not quite difficult. It just feels like your heart is broken. So that's um, how I have been practicing. But mostly what I have been practicing is um, to not separate myself from what arises in front of me. So symptoms of fatigue, is pretty heavy. Um, symptom of um, feeling faint or weak. Symptom of uh, this really strange sensation of tingly feelings in my arms. And this is right in front of me. This is how I'm perceiving my body. That is how I'm feeling, you know? And so my practice has been to not separate from that experience, you know, to 
feel that completely. But you know, I've been thinking, you know, it's been something was very different through the experience because we all know that we're gonna die someday. We think that we're gonna die someday. And you know, in our tradition, the Han says, time is fleeting. Wake up. Right now, wake up. But it's quite different when you understand it conceptually to when the body shows it to you, how the decline of the body, even this practice of the thoughts arising, right? this is a practice, is to recognize each thought, each feeling, each sensations, to completely be present for those things and to not separate our experience from them, from them. And eventually, as we practice like this, with zazen, it comes and it goes. It comes and it goes, like waves. Sometimes it's a big wave and we get swept away, you know, by maybe sense of maybe huge rage. You know, we get swept away. But our practice is to notice when we get swept away and then come back to welcome that again and to really feel how that, that rage is showing you, listening to it. And it comes and goes like that. So we learn impermanence in that way. But with this illness, there was something that happened um, that was quite different, which was that because of this energy that I can really palpably feel, that I can feel, you know, I, I see, for example, my hair has been shedding more. My um, skin has been very dry like it's never been. And it just, you know, you can kind of see that, feel, you know, viscerally feel that your body is, um, the cells, there is um, dwindling something going, right? So in this kind of visceral experience of it, you really get to see the impermanence, feel that you know, impermanence of the body. And this has been a huge teaching for me. And I, and this is, you know, <laughs> I think that we can all relate to that to some extent if you have felt ill for a long time. Um, or, you know, if the death is so close to you, like, you know, your family members, because your body is so um, ingrained with their bodies in the way, with our loved ones. When they go, there's a visceral feeling of your own body going with them, perhaps. Aging is another thing, you know? Um, it's a great teaching, aging. You get to see how wrinkles show up here and there, the memory loss you know, brain fuzziness, um, mem yeah, 
physical limit limitedness, right? All these things come with age. And um, hopefully, I mean, this is a huge teaching. Not to resist that teaching, not to separate yourself from, from what, what age is showing you because it is a precious, precious teaching of um, impermanence. How we can actually start to bring that teaching closer to you and then to start to questioning, start to question. So what is, what is death? What is life? You know, what is this thing that, that so palpable in my experience called energy? So these are the um, questions that I start, started to inquire with this um, illness, which is, I was talking to, you know, different people about it and I would trade it if I can, of course, you know, any day I, I wouldn't want this illness. However, um, this is right in front of me and it's not bad or good. Strangely, it's not bad or good. So I feel very lucky to have tr been trained in Zen so that I can practice this way right now. And um, so as I inquired this, you know, what is energy? What is not wellness, but what is well-being? You know, because wellness is different than well-being. You know, this was another question because as I um, have been practicing Zen, one of the things that I really hooked me to this path is that, you know, with sitting zazen, um, especially, you know, when we go through long retreats, longer sitting, something starts to arise. Something starts to become um, clear and um, present, which is a sense of well-being. You know, this well-being that um, your body feels rested. You know, this well-being that um, your body, of course, but as your mind too, rested. The well-being that um, that feels grounded, right? Like the root of the tree connected to the earth. The well-being that feels open to other beings. The well-being that your heart can um, open. You know? These things are the um, fruits of our practice. So I started to wonder, so wellness and well-being, you know, are they different? So these are the qualities of inquiry that I started to do with the dwindling of my resources, of my energy. And um, I'm gonna take another sip. I'm feeling a little tired. So I'm receiving that right now. Okay, well, I'll talk about something else. So um, as I started to inquire deeply into my body and mind with these questions, something came up. 
and just something coming up like this, you know, we're all familiar with this, right? The inquiry and impulse, uh, impulse and response coming together. Do we know this? Ian has um, shared last time his talk, and I'm going to quote it again from um, Jules Amira Samadhi. The teaching of thusness has been intimately communicated by Buddhas and ancestors. Now you have it, so keep it well. Filling a silver bowl with snow, hiding a heron in the moonlight. When you array them, they're not the same. When you mix them, you know where they are. The meaning is not in the words, yet it responds to the inquiring impulse. So that inquiring impulse and respond response coming together. And this is our zazen, right? This is our zazen. We look here. We rest in our body. We're kind to what arises in our body and in our feelings, in our thoughts. We receive them with kindness. We take care of them. We say, yes, I'm here. I'm listening. I'm feeling you. Okay, here you are. Here you are. And when you do that, when you start to not separate from these things that arises in front of you, right? Pleasant or unpleasant. The response comes, which is the present, presence, which is non-separation, right? Non-separation comes and you are like, oh, okay. Here it comes, here it goes. When you meet together, it falls away. So in this way, I felt that with these inquiries about around energy in my case, something came up for me, which was um, feeling of aspiration to wake up, aspiration to wake up, you know? When I was feeling so just totally out of my energy, get up next day, weak, feeling like, gosh, am I gonna last? You know, my doctor is saying that, you know, I have this symptom and he says that, you know, with a proper management, I could live somewhat of a normal lifespan, fortunately. But then in how I was receiving it, it was a not that kind of feeling. I was feeling, I, I cannot imagine lasting like this for another two, three years, <laughs> feeling just tired. So when, the, when it's so real and visceral like that, and you inquire, you, you question, what is this? What is this thing? And with that inquiry, the, the response came up, which was the sense of aspiration, aspiration to wake up. And so anyway, I want to share that with you today because with that aspiration and 
So thinking about the talk, Dogen, it's classical popped up for me. And Dogen, if you are new to Dogen, he's the um, uh, Zen master from 12th, um, 13th century in Japan. And um, in this lineage, we read him a lot. Um, there's a reason for it, I think. His writing is quite beautiful. And I would say, for me, reading this fascicle called Arousing Aspiration for Enlightenment. Um, arousing Aspiration for Enlightenment, which is awakening. Awakening, which is a liberation of all beings. So this has come up for me. And um, it's been such a gift for me. You know, reading it has been, um, I would say, it feels to me like being in a, a, a giant booming engine room. You know, this teaching is like, like being in the engine room, reading it. And um, this booming thing, you know, in the engine room is Bodhisattva's vow, Bodhisattva's lifeline. That's what keeps us going. And um, so what is Bodhisattva's vow? So I'll read it to you, Bodhisattva's vow. Actually, we have Bodhisattva's vow. So I'll um, say that first, these four lines, and everybody can say that together, if you know. Um, so beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Each word when we chant, each moment, fly. Um, when we come to this lineage, um, can you hear me? Said you, my internet is unstable. Um, first thing, you come and you meet the teacher. Drop away everything and just sit. Don't do incense offering. You know, don't chant. Nothing. Just sit. So the same thing. First time we meet the teacher. First time we meet the vow. Vow is a teacher. We devote all of ourselves to this. Each and every word. Body and mind. With that, we are the vow. So what really spoke to me about this uh, fascicle is this line, which is the first uh, vow that we chanted. And I'm going to um, quote Dogen here. Arousing the aspiration for enlightenment is making a vow to bring all sentient beings to the shore of enlightenment before you bring yourself and actualizing the vow. We'll say it again. Arousing the aspiration for enlightenment is making a vow 
to bring all sentient beings to the shore of enlightenment before you bring yourself and actualizing the vow. So, you know, in four vows we chant, it's, we say, beings are numberless, I vow to free them, right? In our robe chant, we say, um, wearing Tathagata's teaching, freeing all beings. It's the same thing, but the wording is different, right? Here, Dogen is explicitly saying, I vow to bring all sentient beings to the shore of enlightenment before you bring yourself. So this, I've read this fascicle I've go, before, but this sentence, this expression has always made me wonder, what does that really mean? You know, before you reach the other shore. And when we come to the first to the practice for myself, when I first came to this practice, it wasn't about really other people per se. It was my own curiosity. I wanted to wake up, you know? I wanted to um, sit and see what that means to wake up. It was for me. And as I started practicing, and you know, from the day one, we chant this in this tradition, you know, where um, we chant, this is for all beings, Bodhisattva's way, all beings, you know, and we engage in the relationship in the, in the temple, doing things with other people, you know, seeing the interconnected relationship, you know, what arises in the relationship to each other. You know, right away, we, we are told to open up, you know, if you can, they don't force you, but open up, open up. This is our encouragement. It's see what comes up, look at what comes up in the opening of yourself. You know, studying yourself and open up. But this is quite, I think it has a different um, flavor. Dogen saying that before yourself, you know, I thought that, okay, maybe I free myself with all beings at the same time, you know? I take care of myself as well as I take care of other people at the same time. This is our koan, right? For a lot of times dealing with discerning, right? What's the right action in the moment in the political world, you know, in the uh, uh, problem with race, you know, we constantly practice with what's arising here, you know, could be, um, you know, unpleasant things that arises with meeting. And then you wonder, well, here's this thing here that I'm experiencing. And then there's other things that I see, the suffering. And how do I take care of both things? You know, I'm suffering too. Don't I have to, to take care of myself first? So these are really great koan. I think that these are good inquiry that all of us can do. And, um, but here, what really, for me, blazing hot, actually, to me feels in this Dogen's words, 
is that before yourself, bring, you know, out, crossing other beings before yourself. He's saying that because from that sense of, for example, you doing something for other people, you know, from a sense of self-sacrifice. But he's saying this because there is no sense of self here anymore. When you don't, when, when the moment arises and when you meet with other people, you, you are totally devoted to this non-separation, right? So it's, there's no sense of duality. There's no sense of self. The self has dropped away. So now you can meet something completely. So Bodhisattva's vow is like that. And actually he says to, to vow and to, it's to actualize a vow. So it's to vow, which is to commit yourself totally into this relationship of something arising. And then embodying the vow, completely becoming that, what you see, what you receive. So I'm kind of throwing out this koan today for all of us um, so that we can practice with this because this is the heart of Bodhisattva. This is the engine of the Bodhisattva. And I'll um, quote other sentences that he says the similar things in a little different ways. The meaning of the aspiration for enlightenment is to endeavor without ceasing in body, speech, and thought to help all sentient beings to arouse the aspiration for enlightenment. To benefit sentient beings is to help them arouse the aspiration to awaken other sentient beings before awakening themselves. So from these, I, I get that. Do you get this image of Bodhisattva aspiring to awaken other beings before oneself? And in doing so, he's aspiring. One is aspiring other people to aspire to cross other beings before they wake up. It's kind of like a circular, if you know the Enso, right? Enso is this kind of round, Hmm. Yeah. People who don't know what Enso is. Here's the Enso right here. The, you know, in Zen, you see this kind of thing, right? Signature of Zen. But this is it. Is this continuous, non-ending lifeline of aspiration, arousing of aspiration, aspiring and arousing and aspiring and arousing and aspiring and arousing. And it keeps going on and on and on and on for the benefit of all beings, to liberate all beings, to take care of all the sufferings of the world, to not turn away from death, from illness, from iniquity, 
And I, I, you know, this, this felt so encouraging to me, you know, this, this sense of non-ending Bodhisattva vow. This is Bodhisattva's heart. And you know what Dogen says? Dogen says that it's very difficult to, to keep this intact. I'll, I'll quote here. Bodhisattvas, he says, keep practicing this way, aspiring aspiration, aspiring aspiration, aspiring aspiration for eat, like countless time. They say what the, there is a word for that, the eon, eons, you know, long, long time without ceasing, constantly working, constantly working. And um, actually, Dogen quotes here. The Buddha said, what is the one thing that Bodhisattva guard, protect? It is the aspiration for enlightenment. Bodhisattvas, great beings, always endeavor to guard this aspiration for enlightenment. Just as people in the world protect their only child, it is like a one person, one-eyed person protecting the working eye, or people traveling in vast wilderness protecting their guide. Bodhisattva guard the aspiration for enlightenment in this way. So they protect this heart of this engine, right? By practicing it, by aspiring, arousing it continuously. Warm hand to warm hand, we say in this lineage the teacher to the student, to the practitioner to the practitioner. And he says also that it is very hard to ripe. So it's not an easy thing. We need to protect it. We need to guard it. And in guarding it, we're protected. As we practice the aspiration, we protect ourselves. We protect our hearts together. Okay, I'm very thirsty. <laughs> And um, let me just have a drink. Um, I'm just going to end with this writing. This is called Ju Ryo. Ju. Uh, Dogen uses this word when he talks about the activity, the timeless activity of Bodhisattva. Ju Ryo. Ju comes from, um, it means, in Japanese, it means a celebratory things, a word that celebrates. It's funny, we use this for sushi too, you know? Su, and there's another word for she. I think because perhaps that the sushi is uh, cooked on the occasion where it's celebratory perhaps in olden days, but it's something celebratory, Bodhisattva's activity, this whole cycle of arousing aspiration before to cross the, uh, cross the liberation, to the shore of liberation before um, others. No, before, no, be, uh, crossing that be, them before yourself. Right? So this word, um, on the top, uh, 
it's an image of an old man with a crooked back with a cane. And on the, on the bottom is, um, this is uh, basically, it doesn't look like it, but it comes from um, the path of rice fields. So with this, uh, in its meaning, it has this kind of longevity, longevity. You know, it's a celebratory thing, longevity. It's a celebratory word. So I just wanted to show you this because um, this is this is uh, our lifeline, you know, celebratory, joyful celebratory, um, effortful. Yes, uh, we need to take rest a lot. Um, be kind to ourselves, but it goes on. So I hope that we can protect this and be protected by this. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.